Let's stand open our Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 will be in verse 28 as we continue our study through Mark. Mark chapter 2, verse 28. Really, I send you all sin should be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness. We'll preach tonight for a few minutes on the unpardonable sin. But we're going to start with the most scandalous words in these verses. Verse 28, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. And church, let me just remind you uh, that he mentions only one sin that's not forgivable, but everything else. How is it that we so struggle in selectively deciding which sins are worse or which sins God should not forgive and which ones he should forgive? And we all sitting here, no tonight, every sin we've seen, you, you look at Bible examples, murders, thieves, fornicators, adulterers, whoremongers, drunkards, addicts, demon-possessed. That, that lady, we, we mentioned the one that was brought before Christ in a scandalous way. But uh, there are numerous fornicators and adulterers, famous ones in the scripture, labeled ones. Harlots, all forgiven. I remember years ago preaching in, in Toulon Single at the jail, and afterwards one of the young men that raised his hand started talking to him, and he was part of the cartel. And he, and he just said, Pastor, I don't think God can forgive me. I just, I don't see how he could forgive me. Aren't you glad that forgiveness isn't based upon man or who's offended or man's opinion, but on the eternal word of God? And he said, all sins, all, all sins. And if you uh, believe that any work is involved in salvation, you're going you're gonna to stumble over that in offense. Frustrated that there's a God in heaven with grace so scandalous that he will forgive any sin. Whatever you want to put there in the list, there's there probably already a Bible example of God forgiving that and him highlighting it just to remind us Amen. that God forgives all sins. So when we talk about the uh, sin without forgiveness, uh, whatever you're thinking of, it doesn't fall in that category. Whatever you're trying to highlight, whatever someone else is upset about, God is willing to forgive. Uh, we understand that forgiveness comes with salvation, the, the starting Point is salvation, but any sinner under any condition. And I like what it says when he says all sins. We know that's talking about every single sin, whatever sin you come up with, it's forgivable. But he puts a plural there by stating sins, which means whether it's a cumulative over the course of life, not just committed once, but habitually. So you take that person at 60 or 55 who's lived decimated. You can see what, what sin, the damage that sin does to a person normally is very visible. But I'm not 55 or 60, you just see the decimation, the devastation that sin causes. And God says, I'm still willing to wrap my arms around that person and forgive every sin. 
And as soon as you climb off your high horse and realize God's forgiven you a whole lot as well. We just always tend to minimize the sins that we've committed. Those certainly pride and jealousy are not nearly as despicable as adultery and murder, right? And we make sure to let God know that. God, I've been a pretty good person. You haven't had to forgive much in my life. Wow. Yeah, it took a lot for him to just forgive what you just said and thought. All sins should be forgiven under the sons of men. And blasphemies. That's hard to believe. Can you believe a God so merciful that hope forgive? Have you ever been around someone in the world that opened their mouth and blasphemed the name of God continuously? I mean, it's literally part of their DNA. As normal is uh, for you a conversation that uplifts or exalts God, for them normal behavior is to simply take his name in vain and blaspheme everything that is good and holy and righteous. And one of the things I hate the most about our young people going out in the world and having to work in this environment is the defiling that takes place. Living a life and maintaining a mind that is pure for 18 or 20 years and suddenly being dropped in the middle of the world where everything naturally that comes out of their mouth is defiling. And God says, I'll forgive that too. But there's a sin here that he says will not be part. Verse 29, he that shall blaspheme against. Now, I know, I've, I've heard, how many of heard over the course of your life messages on the subject of the unpardonable sin. I remember one of the greatest conferences of my life and one that God used to, to call me to preach and lead me into ministry. I was in Dallas, Texas. I believe it was 1986. The lineup at that conference was probably the most unbelievable lineup as far as big name preachers, everyone from Jack Hiles to Lee Robertson. And there was a pastor there, I didn't know at the time, he was actually Southern Baptist, named J. Harold Smith. And he preached probably his most famous message, God's Three Deadlines. And it was a, maybe the first time it sticks out in my mind as a young man that I heard someone preaching on the unpardonable sin. Now, here's what I believe. God used that message. Literally thousands, tens of thousands of people were saved over the course of his ministry with that message. But I believe... It wasn't even scripturally correct. You say God would use a message that wasn't even scripturally correct? Yes. He has. Can you imagine if God was so boxed in that everything had to be textual and contextual? And it it would eliminate a a whole lot of what takes place behind our pulpits uh, in the United States of America. God's not that limited. But, yes, I, I do believe that there is an unpardonable sin and mentioned in each one of the Gospels. But here's what was going on. We didn't read the context, but if you go back to verse uh, 13, he's calling his disciples out, but he gives them the power to heal the sick and cast out demons. And you see, verse 10, that he healed many so much that they pressed upon him and the unclean spirits, when they saw him, they fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. So, He's casting out the demons, and even the demons are recognizing that he is the very Son of God. They recognize his authority, but the Pharisees do not recognize. They refuse. And here's what these miracles are doing. They are verifying that he is the promised Messiah. He is God in the flesh. 
But he's doing this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's their response. Verse 21, when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. The scribes that came down from Jerusalem said, he hath Beelzebub by the prince of the devils. He casteth out devils. And he called them unto him, and he said to them in parables, how can Satan, tell me this makes sense, cast out Satan. And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand but hath an end. He is confronting this crowd, but then he goes on to say, you all, there is a, an unpardonable sin and to blaspheme against the Holy Ghost. So Jesus here is performing the miracles. His Miraculous works are all proof of his deity that cast out the demons. And every, every miracle that was to come, from the calming of the, of the sea to the raising of the dead, the healing of the sick. But if they had acknowledged these miracles as verification of his Messiahship, it would put them in the light, the light of the truth that they weren't even saved and what they were teaching was not leading anyone to salvation. The Pharisees were forced to attribute Christ's miraculous power is coming forth from Satan. Can you imagine being there with this crowd who claimed to be so holy and so righteous and they're looking at God in the flesh. They've been waiting for his coming and now they're stuck. They're so trapped. The only option they have is to say this power is from heaven. It's of God or this power is from Satan and it's straight from hell. They only have two choices, and they can't admit that it's from God. So they have to attribute it to being from Satan. To resist the reality of Christ's miracles was to deny the working of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit was working through Christ in every single one of these miracles. So instead of saying this is from the Holy Spirit, this is from Satan himself, from Beelzebub, now imagine that. This is really dangerous ground. I, the Pentecostals, they, they want to say if someone is babbling in some unknown language and you point it out, you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. That's quite the interesting rendering of this text, but it's simply not biblical. That's actually crazy. This, this is talking about blaspheming. And by the way, it's not speaking against the Holy Spirit in the sense of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, but blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Go, let's go to John 16 and just, I don't think with this crowd we need to, but for the sake of jostling our memory. John 16, the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And when he is come, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, mentioned in verse 7, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's his job. Now, can you imagine showing up on a Saturday and going out so winning, pointing people to, to Jesus Christ, this world, without the help of the Holy Spirit? How many would feel confident doing that? How many already feel uncomfortable trying to present the gospel to a lost and dying world? Just be honest. How many just say, I already feel uncomfortable? Now, how uncomfortable would you feel? 
if you knew you didn't have the help and the power of the Holy Ghost on your side. Have you ever led someone to Christ? And when you finished, you said, wow, I can't believe that just happened. I can't believe God just used me because whatever I saw was really feeble. How, how did the gospel, how did you see that conviction in their face? How did you see that person turn from darkness to light? You know that was all God. You were used as an instrument. You opened up the Bible and you took them through the scripture and you pointed them to Jesus. But the bottom line is it's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is there to bring them to an understanding of sin and that they are sinners. And you're not going to do that on your own, especially not in 2022 in a society that's been taught there is no sin. Nothing is wrong. There's only five sins on the planet and... If you don't commit these five things, you're not sinful. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, you see me no more. Speaking of Christ's righteousness, and here's what the Holy Spirit does. It points men to Jesus as the only Savior when religion is pointed to works as their hope of salvation. And if, if you go with your best argument, I, I believe in so many works. I believe in all of this. But truly... We have fine-tuned men's skills only to put their confidence in something they have learned or something they can do. And if you're any kind of someone at all, you understand the hopelessness and the helplessness of you in your natural ability. I don't care what kind of ability you have of persuasion. You are not getting men to go from darkness to light without the help of the power of the Holy Spirit. And those that try it, you know what you're going to have? A litany of failure, people that will make a profession of faith and have nothing of Christ or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Of judgment. Because the prince of the world is just, here's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's going to convince them, just as God, and what's the history of Satan? Beelzebub. If you read anything about him in the Bible, what an incredibly beautiful creature literally a walking musical instrument. Yet through rebellion, cast out of heaven. Now here's what God did. If God has the ability to cast him out of heaven and into hell, the Holy Spirit says that same God who will be your judge has ability to cast you into hell, the eternal lake of fire. This is why so many modern day supposed preachers in pulpits, multitude of religions, who are teaching and preaching that uh, God wouldn't send you to hell and let's preach a message that will be less offensive, are actually instruments of Satan. Because here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit of God will shake you up and wake you up and dangle you over hell. Anybody that tries to leave hell out of a presentation of the gospel is not an instrument of God or a soul winner as the Bible commands. I think we all understand that, amen? So here's what happens when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit is clearly defined in Scripture, but it's a work that is bringing man from the lost condition, a condition of blindness, to shining a light, opening up his understanding... Uh, and these men had hearts that were becoming more and more hardened. Now, go back with me to Mark 
chapter 3, when Christ here confronts them, I would say in the strictest sense, this specific sin that would not be forgiven, the apartment sin, cannot be committed today because Christ is not on the earth. There's no one there to look at Christ as he, under the power of the Holy Ghost, raises the dead, casts out demons, heals the sick, and say, that work in that man and what's being done is of Satan. That's literally the sin he's talking about. How many understand that? So in a historical sense, and I have heard preachers and some that would say the extreme opposite of what J. Harold Smith preached, they would say that's not even possible in this day and age because Christ is not here, he's not casting out demons, and there's no one to confront him and say, that is the work not of the Holy Spirit, but of Satan. And I understand that. I'm just not in total agreement. Because there's a larger application here, and that is sin against the Holy Spirit of God. Can this sin be committed today? Now, you say, what, what exactly is that sin? Exactly what it says in the text. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So whatever the Holy Spirit is trying to accomplish of bringing men from sin to salvation, we're talking about a work of conviction in the hearts of men. So here's what man does and sin does and a rejection of the gospel does, rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit does, when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, he convicts of sin and you say, I'm not a sinner. I don't need salvation. He points you to Jesus, salvation by grace through faith without works, and you say, no, works is definitely part of my salvation. He brings you under conviction and you close your ears and say, I don't need salvation. Now, when we're talking about Impartable sin. It was committed by people that were actually hearing the preaching, those closest to his message, those were in constant contact by choice, but rejecting his word and, and attacking his person. So can you hold on for a second? Don't, don't tune me out because I don't fit in the normal description of what you thought the impartable sin was. Can we just be contextual for a minute? So, yes. Historical context, we're not going to see Christ on this earth in a physical, visible form performing those miracles. So no, we cannot do as the scribes and the Pharisees did here and attribute his work to the work of Satan or the Holy Spirit's work to the work of Satan. But there are still men blaspheming the Holy Ghost. Do you understand that? You know what you're saying? So the question is this, can someone commit the unpardonable sin? Hold on for a second. You believe it. Maybe you just won't agree with the way I'm stating it. Because all men that die and go to hell, die and go to hell because they blasphemed the holy, not because they murdered. They didn't go to hell because they murdered. They didn't go to hell because they lied. They didn't go to hell because of fornication or adultery or homosexuality. They went to hell ultimately Because when confronted by the Holy Spirit of God and given the opportunity to respond by faith, they rejected the work of the Holy Spirit and blasphemed against the Holy Ghost, saying that's not conviction from heaven. So all men can only go to hell for one reason. That's rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that's ultimately the only sin that will send you to hell. I'm not minimizing or maximizing one sin above another. But at the end of the day, there's a God of mercy that says all other sins can be forgiven. Whatever you've done in your past that you think is so horrible, you don't want anybody, anybody over the course of your life to ever come to know of the knowledge of that sin. And God says, I know about it and I'll forgive it. And that sin won't send you to hell. If you fall on your face and cry out to God for mercy and believe in Jesus Christ as the only hope of salvation. So I think we all do agree. Semantically, we may disagree, but logically, we do understand one sin sends a man to hell, the ultimate rejection of Jesus Christ and identifying him as the Messiah, the only Savior, and the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us and draws us to Christ. So then the next question is this. Can that happen during the course of a man's life, or does that only happen upon the last breath that a person takes? I've met pastors that believe both. I've got some friends that believe that can happen during life, and I have some friends that believe that can only happen upon the last breath. You say, where do you stand? I stand with my friends. (laughs) (laughs) No, here's what I believe. I do believe that during the course of a man's life, there are people that cross lines and harden their hearts. So let's just, a quick look at Scripture, Acts Acts 7, you know Stephen is preaching here. He's preaching to men that have hardened their hearts over the course of their life. Now, I do not believe the unpardonable sin is something that happens in a single moment. I don't believe it's a single decision. I believe it is a series of choices where Christ is rejected and over time the heart is hardened against the Holy Spirit of God. Now, what is the, the number one work of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction? Now imagine this, imagine the most, to me the most devastating thought on the planet is that the Holy Spirit said, okay, I'm done bringing conviction. Is there anything that makes you shudder? If that doesn't make you shudder, I probably doubt your salvation. Why are you running from conviction? That means the Holy Spirit's on your side. It's the day you don't feel conviction that you ought to be concerned. That's the unpardonable sin, when you cross those lines to such a degree, the Holy Spirit of God says, okay, I'm done. Look what it says, verse 51. He's stiff-necked, uncircumcised, in heart. This is Stephen preaching. You always, now this leads to committing the unpardonable sin. You do always resist. I do not believe for a minute the unpardonable sin happens in a moment or happens with an issue. How many of you got saved the very first time you heard the gospel? Aren't you thankful? Because there's only three or four that raise their hand. I probably heard the gospel hundreds of times before I ever responded. You know why? It's not just an understanding. Salvation is an understanding that brings conviction, that leads to confession. But they were, instead of responding, they were understanding but resisting. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. What was their reaction? When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They, now, this is quite the cut because their reaction is, I'm mad enough, I'm going to bite you. Yeah. Now, folks, I've been preaching for 30 years and I've had some, you know, ladies look at me like, 
I'm like, come on, I'm married. You better do better than that. I've been pastoring for three decades. I've seen some of your faces for years. You better do the better. They did better than that. They started biting on this guy. That's pretty angry. That's like babies in a nursery. Verse 57, then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped ears. They ran upon him with one accord, cast him out of the city, and they're going to stone him. Now, pastor, if these committed the unpardonable sin, no, but they're going that way because some of them will soon harden their hearts to such a degree the Holy Spirit of God will say, I'm done. My spirit will not always strive with man. He said that all the way back in Genesis chapter 6. But hold on for a second. Be careful. You're not the one that judges that. And trust me, your grace doesn't run nearly as deep or thick as God's grace. Pastor, how, how can I? Don't even try to judge that. You just give the gospel to everyone. Let God's Holy Spirit decide what kind of work he does. Because look at what verse 58 tells us. They cast him out of the city. They stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was what? Oh, don't you think that this is the man? You want to talk about blasphemy and murder and persecution of Christians, rejection of the Holy Spirit, and even salvation, what did Christ say? Uh, He said, why why do you keep kicking against the bricks? Why do you resist the Holy Spirit of God? So be careful. Yes, sir. I've had people come up to me concerned. Pastor, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. No chance, not if you're talking to me. That means there's still some part of your heart that's sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. I'm not concerned about you. I'm concerned about the person that doesn't want me to pray for them. Doesn't want me to open up the Bible and talk to them. Doesn't want to kneel at an altar. Doesn't want to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. Go with me to Matthew chapter 10. Christ is sending out the disciples. Look at his... We're talking about initial instructions. Verse 14. Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Why would he say that? You know, he's making clear even to the disciples there's a limited amount of time where grace and mercy is extended. You know who brings and gives and produces repentance? The Holy Spirit. That's a gift from God. I get really nervous about people that tell me, I'll respond to God when I want to. No, you won't. You'll respond to God when the Holy Spirit of God convicts you and draws you, and you repeatedly miss that moment, reject His drawing. You're putting yourself on very dangerous ground. Verily I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city that had a witness and brushed off that Witness, look what he says in Matthew 13, verse 10. The disciples came and said to him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Look at his answer. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. Whosoever hath the him shall be given. How many understand the Bible principle? That God gives more light to those that respond to the light? Uh, Pastor, what about those people in the villages of Africa and around? Guess what? God will give them light based upon their response to the light. And God always gives more light to those that are responding to the light. To those that reject the light, he at some point turns out the light. 
whosoever hath to him shall be given, he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. This is speaking in the context of light. Therefore speak I to them in parables. Parables were not to reveal the truth, but to hide the truth. Because they seeing what? This is a choice. He said, when given the opportunity to see, they choose to see not. And when given the opportunity to hear, they hear not. And when given the opportunity to understand, they understand not. This is a rejection of the light. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is what? This is something because they've rejected the light. Their heart is growing harder. It is waxing growth. Their ears are dull of hearing because they have chosen not to hear. Their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart. And what? What would be the result of them doing that? They should be converted. Why are they not converted? Because they have willfully taken a path of consistently rejecting and refusing the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. What happens as a result? Go with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, passage very familiar. Often fornication, unthankfulness, homosexuality is mentioned. These sins specifically mentioned. But I think we ought to mention the impartable sin. Because look what it says. Verse 21, what's the last phrase of that verse? Their foolish heart was what? How did that happen? Was that them sitting in a pew and saying, I'm not going to respond to the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. This is something that takes place over time as man willfully choose. This happens to people sitting in church pews. This happens to young people that grow up in church. The hardening of the heart, I'm not going to respond. Someone already gave me a prefabricated testimony. My grandma told me when I was three and a half years old that I said, Jesus, save me. You better be careful. You're providing them the opportunity to reject the Holy Spirit of God working in their lives and people. When the Holy Spirit of God works, it comes with heartfelt conviction. You know what we're trying to do? We're trying to produce salvation of our own selves that doesn't include the Holy Spirit of God. And you cannot produce conviction in the heart of anyone. Only the Holy Spirit of God can do that. And if you provide them a testament, you say, you're trying to undermine people's uh, hope of salvation. No, no, you guys know better than that. You're trying to confuse the young people. No, I'm not trying to confuse anyone. I'm just asking you to examine yourself. Are you born again? When you got saved, there had to be more than understanding. There had to be... Holy Spirit conviction. I remember hearing the gospel over and over again. And then at some point, maybe you're sitting in church, maybe you're at home, maybe you're driving your car, maybe you're at work, wherever you were, and suddenly you realize, I'm going to hell. I remember getting shaken by the fact you were going to hell. Now, who produced that? The Holy Spirit of God did that to you. And suddenly you said, you know what, I don't think I'm going to take any more time to make that happen. I think it's a good idea to just go and get saved right now. I don't care what anybody else thinks. That's the Holy Spirit of God. But when someone rejects repeatedly the work of the Holy Spirit, their foolish heart will only become more and more darkened. Verse 24, what's the next phrase saying? Wherefore God also gave them up. We, isn't it 
amazing we call ourselves Bible believers and then we start denying the very words that God has written. So what does it mean that God gave them up? Verse 26, this cause God gave them up. Verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness. Verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God and they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but now what are they doing? They have pleasure in them that do them. I'm convinced, we could read many of the texts, but I'm convinced a repeated Bible principle is that there are people not just when they take their last breath. I thank God, uh, Papa Dick, uh, 92 years old, witness to how many years? 30, 40 years, repeatedly hardened his heart and God had mercy and God showed grace. I remember last time I talked to him, I was there with Miss Dixie and went through the gospel. And just about the time I got to Romans 10, he, he looked over at Dixie and he said, Dixie, uh, you know what? He can go ahead and leave now. So you know what I did? I closed my Bible, said, I'm headed out right now. I was thinking about it already, but I'm going to go ahead and pray for you. And I just prayed through the gospel one more time <laughs> and prayed through the things that I hadn't finished in our conversation and Thank Miss Dixie for giving me the opportunity. But how many times, Miss Dixie, how many people and how many times had he heard the gospel, rejected the gospel, and his heart was being hardened, but just before he died, the Holy Spirit of God broke through. And he got born again. Thank God for that. Up to his very last breath that God was showing grace and mercy. But you know what? There are others that have so hardened their hearts against the Holy Spirit. They have so blasphemed against the knowledge of Christ, the understanding of sin, and the thought of judgment. Everything the Holy Spirit of God is trying to do in their hearts, they have blasphemed against it. And without a doubt, I believe the Bible teaches that some point in their life, before they take their last breath, the Holy Spirit of God says, okay, if that's your desire... I will never again bring you conviction. Now, church, if that doesn't make you nervous, Ephesians 4. Obviously, it's not a sin that can be committed by a Christian. Christian can grieve and even quench, but not commit the impartable sin. But there are people here on that path, repeatedly hearing and repeatedly rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth not walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding, what? Do you guys see what's happening? It's rejection of light. They're choosing darkness, and it's getting darker, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now, here's where it gets scary. What's it say? Who being past filling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all in cleanness with greediness. Past feeling. You, you don't want to reach that point. That means God has abandoned man to himself and man is so hardened. Let, let me ask you this. If, if you push away the very person that is trying to draw you to God in heaven, 
That's a really bad idea. The, the very person of the Trinity whose work is to take you from darkness to light, to take you from a light to the truth, to take you from hell to heaven, to reject the work of the Holy Spirit is to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit of God. Young people, I believe, for the majority of people, that probably happens at their last breath. The very patience and love and mercy and grace of God. And the longer you live, the more you witness, the more you understand. For many people, it's their very last breath. And God has mercy. And I've seen a miracle. I've witnessed the death in the last week of a lot of people over the course of my 30 years because of nurses and doctors and back up at the hospital day. But here's what I've seen, a strange phenomena in the grace of God. Brother Mike, normally in the last week of a person's life, doesn't matter their coherency, dementia, sickness, whatever it is, some strange point in that last week, God allows them a moment a day when they become coherent. And when we had our workers in the hospital in Pachuca, I told them, when those people have that moment, you better call me up. And as soon as you call me up, I will be there and you witness until I get there. Because sometimes it lasts an hour. Sometimes it lasts five or six hours. And many of you that have had relatives die, you thought there's no chance we have another conversation. And God brought them to clarity of mind. You know what that's called? The grace of God. And you better take advantage and get them the gospel. Because if God does that, God is saying <laughs> they should have already sent away their day of grace. They should have, could have already committed the unpardonable sin. But I'm going to show them another act of love and mercy and clear up their mind long enough to allow them once again to make a choice, heaven or hell. Unbelievable that so many choose hell. I don't know how many people have won to Christ in that last moment of coherency and marveled at the grace of God. I've told you some of the story. I remember being with my assistant there in Mexico and we came, a 42-year-old was dying of cancer. We came in that room. A Catholic went through the gospel with her. The family went out. She obviously had, I, I didn't know, moments to live, not long to live, went through the gospel with her. And she kept interrupting me repeatedly. One of the few cases I've ever had in the gospel, she just kept saying, can I pray now? And like good pastor, I said, no, you can't pray. I haven't got through the gospel yet. Pray now. What do you think this is? A race to heaven? Slow down. And finally, she couldn't stand anymore. And she just interrupted me. She started praying. She cried out to God, God, will you save me? And 15-minute prayer. God, I know what I am, and I know what I deserve, and I know I'm going to die, and I want your forgiveness. I'd like to go to heaven. The amazing thing about Catholics, they know how to pray before they ever get saved. Hispanics. And these white people don't know how to pray after they get saved. <laughs> he prayed, and when she finished, she lifted up her hands. I have to be honest with you. I was watching her pray. This woman who was giving her heart and soul to Jesus Christ and I was there being able to experience this lady going from darkness to light and when she finished she said in Jesus name amen open up this eye for open up this eye checked her pulse no I'll tell you what I did I looked at my assistant he looked at me I walked over the window just to check if we could get out that window I thought this family is not going to like the fact that we were sitting here when she passed on folks I've never had two minutes of more panic in my heart. I looked under the bed. I looked for a place to hide, a place to escape. And I kept thinking, how in the world do we get out of this one? And after what seemed like an eternity, 
She moved her head, looked up, and she said, that was amazing. <laughs> you just took 10 years off my life. You really had to hold your breath for that long? Now, here's what's amazing about that woman. Within a week, she was dead. And God gave her that moment of grace, 42 years of rejection of the light, and God still showed grace on her. Now, here's what we want to do. We want to get the gospel to everyone. But young people, you better understand, if you're sitting here saying, God, I'm going to choose when I get saved, and I don't care what kind of holy spirit conviction falls upon my heart, I'll make that decision. You better be careful because God may say to the Holy Spirit, just leave that one alone. Be careful because your thought may become your prayer. Well, you sit in a service and you tell the Holy Spirit of God or God, just leave me alone. You don't want God to answer that prayer. 